Mindfulness Mode 359. The real question is not which passion do I follow, but which struggle am I willing to endure? Welcome to Mindfulness Mode. I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Great to have you with us today. If you're brand new, welcome to the show. If you're a return visitor, so glad to have you with us, Mindful Tribe. And oh, hey, would you do me a favor? Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening, whether it's Spotify or whether it's Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out with the show. So thanks again for being here, Mindful tribe you probably are here because you care about being focused you care about mindfulness you want to become more grounded well i have recorded another new meditation not too long ago and it's about awakening with focus it's about getting started in the morning so many of my uh, listeners emailed me and said could you record a meditation that will just help me be alert in the morning so I don't even need caffeine. I don't even need coffee. So I've recorded this one, Awaken with Focus, about being alert. It's about feeling invigorated, fresh and dynamic for the day. It's all about bringing out your vibrancy so you can feed those around you and be the energetic person you desire to be. You can download this free guided meditation at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash awaken with focus. Awaken with focus. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have an incredibly exciting guest with me today. I have Akshay Nanavati with me today. Hey, Akshay, are you in mindfulness mode today? Absolutely, my friend. Excited to be here. <laughs> this is great. Akshay has done so many amazing things. Uh, most of them are fantastic. And some of the stuff that's gone on, like all of our lives, has not been so fantastic. But I'm going to share a bit about Akshay. Akshay Nanavati is an entrepreneur. He's a high-performance athlete. And I called him this. He's a global thought leader. He overcame drug addiction alcoholism, and a bout of depression so intense that it sent him to the brink of suicide. Yet in a fleeting moment, Akshay made a life-changing decision to flip his life upside down. Since that moment, he's built a global business, he's run ultra marathons, he's climbed mountains in the Himalayas, he's skied 350 miles across the world's second largest ice cap, and he's fought a war as a U.S. Marine in Iraq. He also wrote the book on fear. It's a book he entitled Fearvana, which was so inspiring that the Dalai Lama himself wrote the introduction. Akshay is now on a mission to run across every country in the world to raise awareness of his concept of Fearvana. He's scheduled to run an 11-day marathon across Liberia this October. And Akshay, I mean, this is like so much coolness, so much amazingness. <laughs> Whoa, it's just like unbelievable. But let's start with mindfulness. What does mindfulness mean to you, Akshay? To me, mindfulness is the ability to transcend oneself in service of the self, and more importantly, I think, in service of others, so we can bring conscious awareness to our actions. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I believe the practice is. Transcend one's self. So it's not all about you. 
It's not all about me. Now, come on. No, what's this all believe about? Believe it or not, crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's interesting because with mindfulness, a lot of people will, fo- and I'm not saying this is wrong, but a lot of people say, well, mindfulness is, you know, thinking about now and thinking about my past, not my past, not my future. But, you know, it's so, so people talk about it sometimes more in terms of it's about me and how I think. But you're not saying that. You're saying it transcends oneself. So can you expand on that? Sure, sure. I actually think so. It's transcending yourself also in service of the self, not just in service of others, but also in service of the self. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're all at effect by our thoughts, by our feelings, you know, by these emotions that ultimately we cannot control. I mean, neuroscience, spirituality have all shown that we don't control what first shows up in our brain. So, you know, if I'm standing in some scary position, if somebody's holding a gun to my head and I feel fear, that's a normal response, right? The, and, or if I'm starting a business, writing a book, you feel these fear, you feel these emotions. The ability to transcend oneself is to rise above that. Also in service of the self is what, what, is what I mean. So I can rise above my feelings and still take action. So as a runner, I have many days I do not feel like going for a run. But, right. but by being mindful, I can acknowledge that feeling, accept it, transcend the self in order to then even, you know, to pursue my goals. So to me, it's not fully about being present because there's a time you want to be fully present. And there are other times where you want to be conscious of the future of the past. And it's really being able to kind of manipulate and play with these three time perspectives at will. Mindfulness gives you the ability to do it at will without being just a machine or at effect by your circumstances. So Akshay, have you studied the science of mindfulness? Because you sound so knowledgeable about this. Very much so. I mean, you mentioned you know, my, my bio, my story. When I hit that low point and I thought about taking my own life, I really delved into a deep, long, multi-year, year-long quest to study neuroscience, psychology, spirituality. Initially, it was really just to heal my own brain and get out of some of these dark places that I was in. But of course, it led me on something so much more deeper and meaningful and ultimately this concept of fearvana. So I read hundreds of books, practiced it through life experience that, you know, all these journeys that you've shared briefly through. So definitely studied it a lot and having been blessed to experience it as well. So was it at that time that you decided it, there had to be this physical aspect? I mean, you were already a Marine at that point, weren't you? I had come back from the war, finished my six years in the Marines. So this was years after the war. I had been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, was struggling with depression, going through these bouts of, you know, just drinking for days on end. I mean, I got to a point where I would drink up to a liter of vodka, drink until I pass out, wake up and drink again. And obviously that's not healthy to say the least, but it's, I mean, it puts you in some dark spaces. Yeah, for sure. And ultimately it's just the running away, right? Running away from the self. That's what I mean. Again, transcend that self in service of the self. Over here doing that, you're not transcending the self. You're being victim to your demons. So do you consider yourself an alcoholic then? Uh, I I suppose I had struggled with that. Like one thing personally is I don't necessarily, and I a might have helped a lot of people, but I don't agree with that idea of defining ourselves by I am an alcoholic, right? Because I think that assigns a label that I refuse to accept about myself. I don't believe we find ourselves. I believe we create ourselves. So I'm not going to use that label for myself to say this is who I am. Have I struggled right. with alcohol in the past? Absolutely. Does that trigger? Potentially show up from time to time without a doubt, you know, and but but that's not who I am, who I choose to be for myself and for the world. Well, I find that fascinating. I really do. Because so many people do label themselves with whatever label it is, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too fat or whatever it is, people label mm-hmm. themselves. And once they do, it's very hard to detach themselves from that label, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's that's such a huge problem in the way we approach mental health is these we're too we're, we're too liberal with the way we 
behind these labels. I mean, even with me, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, but, and I always say I was diagnosed with it, not that I have it because right. that's two different things. You know, I was, I don't believe that I have it because I, yes, I might have symptoms of post-traumatic stress, but that doesn't mean it's a disorder. You know, and it's the same thing with with all of these because what happens is when we la- when we assign that label, it becomes a part of our self di- self identity. And so whenever something goes wrong, and I've seen this with myself with veteran buddies of mine, they'll think, "Oh, it's because I have a disorder," and it fuels in this downward spiral of self talk. I've seen it with a young girl that I was working with who was labeled, in my opinion, wrongly by uh, with depression. And what happened is then she said to herself. I have depression. I am depressed. It was a self-identity, not something like my brain goes through this state of depression, but I'm not my brain. You know, I'm, my, I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. And these mm-hmm. are not who I am. So that's why I think we're, oh, we're too liberal with our labeling. I like the way you think. I really do. So for Fearvana, Fearvana, tell me about Fearvana and how you came up with that and what it means to people and what it should mean to me. Yeah, uh, it came up with through all these life experiences, through this process of healing that I took on after hitting that low point through my research. And the idea is it's this fear and nirvana, right? Two seemingly contradictory ideas, but that I've come to learn are very much complementary. Fear is an access point to our bliss, an access point to our enlightenment. And on a larger scale, it's not just fear. It's that all these seemingly paradoxical ideas of, you know, fear nirvana uh if you look at stress and recovery we always kind of demonize one side of the thing so we demonize fear we demonize stress we demonize anxiety but these are not negative things they coexist with the other side of this duality right so when we unite the two we achieve a greater level of spiritual awakening a greater level of enlightenment and growth so the idea of fear vana is that these two seemingly ideas are complementary and i use fear especially because fear is the most primal emotion it's the core so when we channel into our fears, when we approach the unknown, we can attain a level of bliss that we can never have never experienced before. So the way I define fearvana is the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. Okay. Now, now can you repeat that? Because that sure. is so powerful. Sure. That's the essence of what fearvana is. It's the bliss that results from engaging our fears to pursue our own worthy struggle. The bliss that results by engaging our fears, okay, with our own worthy struggle. Thanks for slowing me down right there sure. because that is really powerful. So please continue now. Yeah, and and what I, why I call it a worthy struggle as opposed to like, I mean, the worthy struggle is essentially your path. It's your purpose. But I don't I don't like that idea when people say follow your passion, you know, because what happens is, and I've seen this, in fact, just recently I did a talk on navigating adversity where this kid came up to me after and many kids hear that follow your passion and life will be this grand, joyful, happy thing. And it won't, you'll go through struggle, right? So I call it a worthy struggle because it will be hard. And ultimately the real question is not which passion do I follow, but which struggle am I willing to endure? You know, I can work a job that I hate for the rest of my life or I can go through the struggle of starting a business. Either way, there's going to be a struggle. But you got to ask yourself, which struggle am I willing to endure? And there's no one right struggle. It could be playing chess for somebody, writing movies, running, running hosting a podcast, running ultra marathons. But you find your worthy struggle. You embrace it. You can let that consume you. And there's a bliss that results from that. That's that's incredible. I mean, that's that's enlightenment itself is that experience. And that's what I mean by fearvana. And now what I'm doing with it is really to help people find their worthy struggle, to live that worthy struggle, and to love that struggle. It's really the three, those three things are the essence of the fearvana world I am creating. And so you just keep presenting struggles to yourself constantly. Am I right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Writing a book, running, I mean, writing a book on fear was one of the hardest, scariest, toughest things I've done beyond anything else. I mean, it, you know, writing, just writing is not as like, 
sexy as skiing across an ice cap when you put it out there, you know? Yeah. But it's for me, it was far more difficult. I mean, sitting there channeling the whole time I'm going through these fears. Is it any good? Are people going to like it? Is it going to be garbage? You know, but coming back to mindfulness is accepting that fear, acknowledging that the fear is there. And really that fear is a good thing because I was scared of writing a bad book. I wrote a better book. As a result, I studied from authors who like Jack Canfield, Tim Ferriss, you know, I studied from great authors and that allowed me to channel my fear into something meaningful. And fear was just an expression of my love. The only reason I was scared of writing a bad book because was I, because I loved my message and I wanted to share something meaningful with the world. And, and how did the Dalai Lama end up writing the foreword for this book? <laughs> that was a tremendous blessing, of course, as you might imagine. Uh, it was really a cold pitch. I reached out to his office, which ultimately got me nowhere. So I did a lot of research. I found a name and contact information in his, in his, on his website. I shot a personal video for him sharing my journey, the struggles I've been through, what we want to do with Fearvana, all the profits in the book are going to charity and uh this one monk there connected me to three other people so eventually third person later built a relationship with him over five months four to five months and finally he sent me a note back which i still remember exactly what he said was considering everything you've been through and your genuine desire to serve i'll press your case and soon after that i got this beautiful letter with his holiness's signature and his seal that we have framed now because it's just a blessing and uh it would, I mean, of course it was a game changer in every way you can imagine incredible <laughs> incredible, incredible have you ever met him I haven't yet. Definitely something that when I'm back in India in November, I'm hoping to hoping to do because I just really want his blessings and, and to be able to, you know, to take that with me into everything I'm doing now. But, you know, even the process of getting this whole time, having that voice, self-doubt, fear, I kept thinking they're not going to respond to it. Uh, who am I to get the Dalai Lama's endorsement? You know, uh, are they going to think my book is garbage? And I always say it's okay to have those thoughts, but you don't have to listen to it. That comes back to everything you're doing, which is why mindfulness is at the core. I mean, being okay with the feelings, with the thoughts, but not letting them define your actions. Didn't you dive into a frozen lake and spend a certain amount of time <laughs> down there? How scary was that? I've done that a few times, actually. <laughs> so do you I mean, love scuba diving? I do. I love scuba diving. I'm a rescue diver certified. Um, so yeah, I love diving. I've been cave diving, ice diving, night diving. Cave diving was far more scary than ice diving. <laughs> was cave diving it? was pretty intense. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you're in this dark cave and you can't just come up if something goes wrong, you know? And sometimes it gets kind of narrow, super intense. Oh man. Oh yeah. Talk yeah. I've done present. caving. We did caving in Newfoundland last year. Oh, wow. And you got to you got to come to Newfoundland. It's a wonderful place here in Canada. But uh, wonderful caves there and so we did did the caves and some of them extremely tight squeezes and very yeah. very small spaces to maneuver through yeah. but I can't imagine doing it with that filled with water and you're you're swimming <laughs> through it. That must be a challenge. It was intense. I mean, I haven't done some, you know, super intense caves that some of the top cave divers have, but just a little bit I did. You yeah. definitely start going in narrow spaces. You know, you feel all those feelings again, but there's this beauty in that you're floating. There's a, such a presence to this experience. It's a very spiritual experience. I bet it I've is. been dry caving as well through some caves in upstate New York and yeah. all over. I've done some caving as well, which is intense in its own way for sure. <laughs> so is there any athletic endeavor you haven't taken on yet? <laughs> I actually haven't done downhill skiing yet, believe it or not. I've done a lot of oh. cross-country skiing, but I haven't gone alpine skiing yet. Uh, I think there's not. I've done skydiving. I've broken three bones skydiving. Oh. <laughs> I've broken three bones in my foot skydiving, yeah. So downhill so skiing. I can noble. say I've done one that you don't do, and I love <laughs> downhill skiing. So you got to come to Canada for downhill skiing. And uh, I would you know. love to. I hear everybody says why. Look, they're shocked when I say that. You haven't tried downhill skiing yet? I'm like, no, yeah. not yet. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'd I'm sure to. you'd have no problem with it. I'm sure you'd enjoy it. I think you would. Sure but would. Uh, wow. so tell me about Akshay as an eight-year-old. What kind of kid were you? What was what was a day in your life looking like? I was uh, so I was born in here in India. I moved mm-hmm. from Bombay to Bangalore. So when I was eight, actually about eight, I moved to Singapore. At eight to thirteen, I was in Singapore. I was a very energetic kid, constantly outside running, playing every kind of sport. We used to play rugby when I was younger. I mean, if I remember once when I was playing rugby, I got cut on my knee and I loved it. That cut to me was a sign of this battle scar, you know. I had elements of who I am now today, just unchanneled really. Because soon after that, when I moved to Austin, I got into drugs pretty heavily. So just channeled in a very negative way. But eight-year-old me was, yeah, full of life energy always downstairs playing you know in the building and we used to play every sport cricket basketball soccer tag you know everything a lot of energy <laughs> wow 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 yeah so yeah. then you moved to Austin and what kind of drugs did you get involved in and what do you think looking back what do you think was the reason you got pulled into that scene you know when I moved to Austin I was not by any means a confident kid i was had moved around between already at this point three cities by the time i was 13 bombay bangalore and singapore now four at 13 years old i was a little lost figuring out who i was who i needed to be in many ways i was i was adapting i was trying to be trying to fit in as opposed to trying to be me and letting that shine you know so i don't blame my friends i take full responsibility for my actions but i got into a group that ultimately soon enough we started drinking getting the marijuana lsd got into coke cocaine a little bit at the point of cocaine is when I finally stopped but I was the first first person me and one other guy were the first person in the group to start going into harder drugs and he is dead today so that could have easily been me I was at a point where I've done any drug my way that came my way you know so I always said if I had found let's say outdoor sports if I had gotten into rock climbing or something like that earlier perhaps I would have never gotten into drugs my energy would have been channeled in that positive way so I think that again from a young age now looking back my parents have always asked me because I had a great parents no you know bad childhood best parents i could have ever asked for they've always asked me what they could have done differently and truth told i don't know if there is anything they could have like they didn't know that people rock climb for fun they didn't have that you know that perspective that awareness that people do these kind of outdoor sports that i now do but had i got into it maybe i would never have gotten into drugs so i think just being a combination of being lost not having clarity on my path not just my path but who i was who i you know my confidence and uh, getting into that as my outlet for push channeling that energy which obviously is a very negative way to channel it that ultimately now has been thankfully channeled in a positive way so do you do any kind of drugs today at all no drugs no drinking off drinking as well alcohol was a tougher fight for me uh drugs i got over pretty much overnight when i made the decision oh. alcohol from the decision of going sober i broke my sobriety a few times uh uh, so alcohol was a tougher battle, which was much more recent, actually. But drugs, I almost overnight decided to stop and decided to join the Marines. I mean, the, the conscious choice to join the Marines is what gave me my why out of drugs. So how long has it been since you had a drink of alcohol? It's been months now. Uh, so it's not that long. It's been, yeah, I can't tell you exactly. I don't remember like a specific date. It's been but yeah. months for sure. So I, had, I only, because after this, you know, hitting that low point, I started kind of moderating for a little bit. And I only made the decision to go sober, I think it was actually last year. Because I was still doing good. Like when I was moderating it, I was doing good. I was, you know, business was growing. I was still running a lot. All these things were happening. But not at the level that I could have gotten to that I'm really getting to now. Uh, so I made a decision to go sober. Broke, was sober for months on end. And then broke my sobriety a few times. And uh, then finally, it stuck. <laughs> right, right. And now I'm in a space where I don't, I don't see it. I don't, you know, I can't obviously predict the world 
in front of me, but I'm in a much better place that I don't see it happening again. What about food and other kinds of things that you put into your body? Are you, are you like very, very, um, like adamant about that or do you just eat whatever or what? No, very conscious, very adamant, (laughs) very strict. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy eating once in a while, like cheat, call it cheat days or whatever. But generally if you training for the kind of things that I'm training for, as you mentioned, you know, Liberia, I'm running 310 miles across Liberia in October. I'm putting in 70 to soon I'll be a hundred mile weeks you have to be pretty conscious. So, you know, I'm working with the nutritionist, amazing guy. He runs this great company, Fit Father Project. He helps me with my nutrition. He's a buddy of mine, close friend. So, um, yeah, he helps me kind of hone in on my nutrition. And then once in a while, I'll have, you know, cheat days and stuff like that. (laughs) So do you ever feel lacking in energy? The biggest challenge that is still somewhat of a gap that I'm working through is the sleep. Sometimes I get so excited with everything that I have planned, I can't sleep because my mind's just thinking of all these things that are happening. And so I'm I'm getting better at the systems for sleep, but that so that so when when fatigue hits in that front, it drains the energy a little bit. But really, it's I mean, other than you know, that's the, that's definitely got some systems to figure that out. But most part, it's I'm pretty good. You know, I can manage my energy pretty well because again, I'm putting the right things in my body. I'm exercising a ton. Um, you know, I. I do, I'm starting to, I've actually recently started doing yoga. So more of that, for one, for stretching, for injury prevention, but also it's a little bit more of a mindful practice as well. So incorporating some yoga into my routine has been helpful in every way as well. So I'm pretty conscious about usually how I live my life. <laughs> and what about meditation? Is that part of your life? And if it is, what does it look like for you? It is. So I have that in my morning and night routine. What I do is two different kinds. One is a chanting. Are, are you familiar with Nichiren Buddhism? Uh, no. So it's this kind of Buddhism where they do a chant. They say, nam uh, renge kyo And I actually should know considering I chant, but I can't remember exactly what it means. But you basically sit with your eyes open, uh, arms in kind of this, you know, namaste type posture. And you look at something and you repeat this chant over and over and over again. So I, what I do is a combination of uh, 10 minutes chanting, 10 minutes meditation. Meditation is very simple for me. Close my eyes, just anchor my breath. And uh, in the morning and then five minutes of each at night. So totally it ends up being about 30 minutes. But for me, I mean, mindful meditation is also my running is a meditation. My yoga is a meditation. So meditation gets channeled in different ways as well. Because these days, a lot, most of the time now I run without an iPod. So I'm just being very present in my mind, my body, my spirit, what it's telling me. You know, it's channeling everything coming through me through my run as well. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. I want to uh, ask you a question about bullying. Have you ever been bullied? Do you ever have a, do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, actually, the, the sad reality is I was, I was not the one being bullied. I was a bit of a bully in my okay. younger years. I, uh, I've, gone, I've made a ton of mistakes in my life, as you can tell from my whole story. But I was a bit of a bully, uh, you know, put, whether it be in Singapore. I think Singapore has started, yeah, and then even a little bit in Austin. Thankfully, I've been blessed. I've apologized to uh, pretty much everybody that through years later connecting on Facebook. I've kind of apologized for some things that I put some kids through, uh, which I'm not proud of. But yeah, I was more of a bully. And again, I think that chat. So mindfulness, I think, I mean, ultimately at its core, mindfulness, self-awareness is everything, right? Because yes. if you want to want to figure, we, we, we all the thing is most of us are living our lives, and I've been there too, at the effect of what the world tells us because it, everything is everything that we are doing is going into our subconscious. There's so many incredible studies that have shown this, you know, there's this guy who did this 
study called the Jennifer Aniston neuron, where people who watch Friends a lot, their brain will activate differently than, let's say, if you watch The Simpsons. Then when you see them, like, it literally has everything we're putting into our consciousness is going in. So we're, we're often operating from this place of being at effect of our patterns that we don't even know we have. In order to change that, self-awareness is the foundation. Kids obviously are not being taught that. They're not being practiced it. Kids also don't have – their brain hasn't evolved at a, you know, in the way that adults have. So as a result, they're, they're inevitably more victimized by things they can't control. So once you, if you can practice that even at a younger and younger age, it's a game changer. It, you know, to me, it only came in much later in my life. But again, no regrets. It brought me to who I am today. Can you tell me a specific <laughs> – bullying situation where then sure. you reconnected with the person later and it changed th things around? Sure, sure. Um, this one is kind of awful. I'm not proud of it. But there was this one kid in Singapore. Um, he was this little Indian kid. And I used to kind of tease him a lot on the playing field. Nothing serious, you know. Uh, but one day it got pretty serious. We were in the class. And I essentially was the leader of this outfit where I got every kid in class boys and girls, leaving the girls to get up and essentially punch this kid. Poor kid was obviously helpless. I mean, this is the entire class. He left the class crying. I still pretty vividly remember it. Uh, whole class got in trouble, but they knew that I was the leader of this little band of uh, uh, bullies, that I was suspended uh, uh, from school for a few days. Needless to say, my mom wasn't too proud of me. <laughs> uh, uh, and I wasn't too proud of it uh, as well. But that was the one that stands out because that one was pretty awful to put subject the kid to it so this kid actually apologized to him years later on facebook and i said listen i know i put you smart and i remember him saying something along the lines of you know i've learned to let that go and i'm in a good place but you should let that go as well so it was very sweet of him to say that like he was you know didn't sort of leave long lasting scars thankfully and he yes. said you should let that go as well so i was like thanks for saying that man i'm glad you're well so um, that was there was little things other than that with some other kids but that was probably the big one uh that was pretty harsh to say the yeah, least. Yeah, and thank you for being so vulnerable to share it because that's not something that everybody's comfortable with sharing a story like that. Yeah. It's, you know, again, again, not proud of it, but it is I did it. That's just the reality. So and then again, I'm thankful that I was able to apologize to that kid. Tell me about your business. You are an entrepreneur. Tell me about that. So what what I when I started my business, it was purely life coaching, one on one coaching. Uh, that's how I grew. I actually so I right after my finished my masters, I had I worked in a corporate job for a year and a half. I knew the day I signed up for that job, what day I would quit because that was the day I had was going to go ski across Greenland for a month. <laughs> so I literally signed up, knew exactly what day I would quit. So I had a year and a half to kind of set the foundations. I got trained as a life coach by an ICF accredited, orga accredited organization. Uh, I came back from Greenland, started building up my practice. And really, I was doing that for a long time. That was the core of it, the essence of it was just one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I was not in a I, I didn't care about scaling or anything. I was happy. I was able to live the lifestyle I wanted to live, traveling all over. Only now, after getting to writing the book, launching the book, now what I'm doing is I'm creating some digital information products. And really, the essence of now what we're doing is we're taking this concept of Fearvana and building it into a global movement through multiple verticals. So the idea is what Richard Branson is to Virgin. I want to be to Fearvana, but staying in the space of well-being. So we're creating a Fearvana Academy, Fearvana Fitness, Fearvana Festivals, Fearvana Retreats. We have a nonprofit called the Fearvana Foundation, a whole ecosystem, eventually Fearvana Foods, you know, a whole ecosystem of this uh, concept of Fearvana to help people ultimately do those three things, find, live, and love their worthy struggle. Find, live, and love their worthy struggle. Absolutely. That, that's very cool. <laughs>
Yeah, that's very cool. I'm so impressed with what you're doing. And and uh, I'll tell the listeners that we just connected, what was it, two days ago. You sent me <laughs> you sent me a message and then it's like you, we jumped on this call. And so I haven't read your book yet. I'm very excited to receive it and to read that and to learn more about Fearvana and what it truly means. And you've told us a lot about what it truly means. But uh, as we move on, I want to ask you f- uh, five quick answer questions. So just 30 seconds. Second answers are perfect, Akshay. Uh, Okay, the first one is this. Who is one person that influenced mindfulness in your life? Jack Canfield, without a doubt. Best-selling author of Chicken of the Soul series. He was uh, instrumental in my own healing from that PTSD and some of my dark days. And he's a beautiful soul. Yeah. Oh, he is. Fantastic. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh, game changer. Uh, It's been allowed me to... Uh, be with my emotions and transcend them. One quick story, because I think this might help, is in relationship to survivor's guilt. I struggled with survivor's guilt when I came back from the war, lost a friend. Uh, I let that guilt consume me in many dark ways through alcohol and all these kind of things. Uh, drove me to some dark places, felt like I didn't deserve to be here, didn't deserve to be alive. But now my guilt is an ally. I still feel it. I have a picture of my friend that says on the wall, and it says, this should have been you. Earn this life. So mindfulness has allowed me to be with that guilt and be okay with it and channel it to something useful. Mm, thanks for sharing that. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Starting to get much more proactive, you know, uh, through yoga, through um, uh, through my running, because I'm like really working on it a lot more. I also recently learned from my friend, same friend, the Wim Hof breathing method. Wim Hof is the Iceman. Yeah. Yes. So uh, it's starting to get much more proactive. Before that, it was just really through deep breath and meditation, but it's definitely something I'm working on now, enhancing to take my running and my life to the next level. So have you studied with Wim Hof? Have you studied the Wim Hof method? Not directly. No, this guy I mentioned uh, who runs Fifth Father Project, my nutritionist friend, Anthony, he had studied with him. So he taught me a little bit about the Wim Hof breathing method. And I mean, on my second try, I held my breath for, I think, two to two and a half minutes. And wow. I'm not somebody who could do that. Like that might, like for some people it might be nothing, but for me, I was never able to do that. Like I was not good at that. But just through this technique, it, I was blown away by how long I was able to hold my breath in my second try of doing it. <laughs> and do you so, do the cold showers? Do you do that part of it? I do contrast showers from time to time. Um, so the recovery for contrast showers, you know, hot and cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> if you could recommend a book on mindfulness or related to mindfulness, what would it be? And of course, Fearvana, I'm sure, is the first one that comes to mind. And, and listeners, <laughs> you got to get your hands on this book, Fearvana, Fearvana, F-E-A-R-V-A-N-A. It's an awesome book, I'm sure. And like I said, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to and can't wait. But what, what have you got to say about a book that you would share? Uh, another one that was really helpful and game-changing for my research as well is a book called Buddha's Brain. The Practical Neuroscience of Love, Happiness, and Wisdom. That's a really good book, Dr. Rick Hansen. Yeah, and I was blessed. He also endorsed Fearvana, so it was a really great blessing for me to receive an endorsement from, from him. Because, uh, but his book was beautiful to me, game changer for me as well. Oh, fantastic. Do you have an app that helps you to be more mindful? I actually do not. Um, I have an interesting relationship with technology for me. Like my meditation is just practice, you know, just really closing my eyes and, and doing that. So I don't. I mean, it's, I set a timer on my phone. That's the extent of the apps I used to mm-hmm. do, but I don't use a specific, my, I know there's plenty out there, but I don't use a specific one. 
for me it's well, more like I get to my practice yeah okay yeah absolutely no problem mindful tribe i'll put all of this information in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com and you can check it out check out the book check out of course check out akshay's book uh which is uh, as you know, as we've already talked about, it's called Fearvana. Fearvana. So check that out. And uh, yeah, it's so great to have you on the call. So how can we connect with you, Akshay? How can we learn more about what you're up to and stay in tune with all these exciting endeavors you're taking part in? <laughs> uh, Fearvana.com. You can reach out to me there. Uh, you know, and if anything, Akshay at Fearvana is my email. I respond to my own all my own emails. So anything I can serve with here to help. But fearvana.com is a good place to start and stay connected to everything that's happening. And are you on social media as well? Yes. Instagram, Fearvana, Twitter's Fearvana Life, and uh, YouTube is also Fearvana, is my Fearvana channel. YouTube, Instagram. What's your favorite favorite social media? Uh, I like Instagram, and I'm getting now better uh, at at YouTube. To be honest with you, I struggle a little bit with social media. And (laughs) I realize it has some value, but obviously there's some things that are not tremendously valuable about it but i'm getting better about you know finding the value and embracing that so youtube and instagram are probably some of my favorites perfect well i've enjoyed watching you on youtube you know some of the interviews you've done and so on it's great because you you're great at being interviewed i can tell that right away so it's wonderful to have you on the show and like i said you know when you're in canada when you're running across canada come and visit (laughs) me and stay at my house I will 100% take you up on that, and I really appreciate that Fantastic. offer. Thank Fantastic. you so much for having me on the show, Bruce. Yeah, all the best to you, Akshay, and uh, take care. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, Awaken with Focus a 12-minute meditation just for you, recorded by me. You can be alert, focused after waking. That's what it's all about. Feel invigorated, fresh, and dynamic. Let your vibrancy feed those around you. Download this meditation to help you get going in the morning at mindfulnessmode.com slash awakenwithfocus. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.